Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, episode 26. I got my wife, Kirsten Coots, in the house with me. And this is the last one for season one, episode 26. Can't believe we got here. So thanks, Kirsten, for being here. So many changes in our life in this year of doing a podcast. We moved. We live down in southern Alberta now and get to go walking together every day and hanging out and tried out a new job. Wasn't a good fit for me. So we went back to full-time consulting. And how does that look? It's good. I love every minute of it. Yeah, we're living in down south in Chestermere. So we get to walk and work and kind of do everything together, which some people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe they can do all that stuff together. Somehow we make it all work. Rewind a whole year ago. And I was talking about, hey, you know, I went on this podcast, the Von Dubcast with Nick Von Walker Barther. Shout out, Nick. And, and I want to try this. I want to buy the equipment. And what was your first thoughts? Well, when you get your mindset to something, I know you're going to do it. So I might as well support you rather than fight it. <laughs> so I think that was the big thing. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But I mean, I think it's been really good. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun, right? You look back on all the people that uh, I don't want to start name dropping because it's just too many in a, in a whole season, right? Um, all the different uh, friends and family and and uh, firefighters that we've interviewed and, and it's grown and changed and our lives have grown and changed. And so uh, I still remember thinking, man, I'm terrified. Like, I don't know anything about a podcast. I don't know how this equipment works. I don't know, you know, so you order this thousands of dollars worth of equipment and recorders and, and you sign up with these companies. We use Resonate Recording for uh, all of our editing and hosting and stuff. And, and so along the way, you get some great advice, you know, Daryl Black, some good advice, Nick, some great advice, Adrian from CBC, some great advice. And, and so you kind of just put this all together and and I can remember the look on your face was the same look on the face of the lady from Resonate Recording, right? It's like, this guy has no idea what he's going to do, but they're going to start a podcast and, and away we go. So for us, closing in on 10,000 downloads. So thanks to all our listeners and, and our friends and everybody that keeps this going all the time. It's a year. I can't believe it's a year. So we're Thanksgiving long weekend recording this. It'll come out in November. Season two will start November 28th, 2021, which is our grandson's birthday, which is the whole growing up fire is all about leaving a legacy for him to listen to and, and meet all these cool, interesting people that are part of the fire service. So in this year, certainly is the year two of the Seahawk Performance Division evaluation tool. And so I think we should talk a little bit about that because I think it's a lot about why we get to meet so many people, how we shaped. Everyone knows we had this Slave Lake Fire. Everyone knows I get to go to Fort McMurray. And, and we've talked to those people, you know, the Big High River Fire, the floods, the train wrecks, the, you know, it doesn't, I've had this incredible career. You've been with me side by side through the whole thing. And I will say always supportive of that piece of it. Of course. It's like, I don't know, the fire service for me is like family, no matter where you go. Even, you know, when we're doing the eval tool and we go to these small volunteer fire departments where you don't know anybody, I, I will say within the first day, I feel welcome and I feel like they're family already. And what I love the most about the eval tool is that we get to go there and we get to help them and we get to show them ways that we can make their fire service better and just, you know, how we can help them with that. And I, that's the piece I love the most. Yeah, me too. And, and so I just kind of kind of walk everybody through, if you remember how the eval tool developed. <laughs> and so I'd left Slave Lake and we were kind of like had a summer off. It was good fun. We got lots done around the house. And and uh, I think that I simply just kind of started getting bored. I like to have a full day. I like to have a full week, a full month. And so we were driving to city and I said, hey, we're, we're going to talk to these cool guys from uh, Seahawk. And uh, I might get a job there. You remember that that truck ride? I do, actually. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know you and I had talked lots about being able to help the fire service. And I think that particular day, I had just finished doing a health and safety audit shortly before that. So it was fairly fresh in my mind. And we started talking about how we could help them and how how we could make things better. And if we had something where we could show people where they needed to be 
according to legislation and employment, you know, um, health and safety standards and some kind of measurement tool. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I, I think it started at that and I don't think we stopped talking for the whole two and a half hours to the city. And I think when we got there, we had this clear path of what we knew we needed to do. We just weren't quite sure how we were going to start building that, but based on doing some other health and safety audits that I had done over the years, it, it all came together and it just made sense to put it in a tool similar to that. And yeah. so, so it was fun. So we get to the city and I, I talked to Ben and Ray and, and we're going through all of this stuff that we just invented in our minds in this two and a half hour truck ride. And they're like, exactly. We talked about this and we talked about that. And, and then I think what we found over the next five or six months, as we developed the tool was that so many people had thought of so many pieces and parts and how it could work. And no one really just took the time to put it together. There was the BC playbook that made a stab at it, mostly about training and a little bit about administration, you know, in different provinces and different fire commissioner's offices it made a different stab at different pieces of it. And, and we just kept going saying there has to be this holistic approach where we could look at the whole fire service tell them what has to get done and then um, where they fit into that right and then help them through all these pieces and then it's the fire service way so you have national fire protection association which just is recommendations really right and then you've got ohns which is the law and every province is a little different but it's similar Right. And so it was nice to go through and start to, it was a big job. It was 1800 hours with a whole bunch of people working with us on a team to go through this and build this thing. But it really showed you what the fire service had to be. And so I think we've done 20 of those now or something like that. And, and you really start to see that it's a process. People do the parts that they love and that they have to do, right? So operationally, usually pretty good job. They're, they're making a good stab at training. They've got equipment and fire halls and trucks and things. You know, what are some of the things that you really find that get left out when we do the evaluation? Well, like you said, administration-wise, paperwork. Paperwork always gets forgotten. And I don't want to say health and safety gets forgotten because it's. I think it's a huge part of all fire services. But I think that it doesn't get documented maybe the proper ways. And you definitely see that. Do they know that they're being safe when they run into a burning building? Absolutely. Do they know how to document it so that if something happened with OHS, they would be able to prove that they were doing their due diligence? Probably not so much, right? And and then I find there's never enough staff, right? <laughs> Especially when you go to these small volunteer fire departments and they only maybe have fire like volunteers and not actual full-time staff. So that administration piece is a huge piece, but you're right. Like they always know how to run into a burning building and, or save a life or, you know, whatever it might be, that operational piece is always there. It, it's funny to me because, you know, I always do that above the line, below the line talk, and I'll post some pictures of this so everyone can see what we're talking about. But, you know, it always starts with the bylaw. And almost everybody has a bylaw, right? Some of them are from the 60s and they talk about wartime, peacetime craziness, right? Some of them are more current and and uh, they typically look the same, right? So we always have that. And then we say, okay, well, show us your policies, right? Well, we don't really have any policies to to guide the, the official how we're going to run it, right? And so you've got the bylaw, you've got the policies. And then above the line, you still have things like the budget staffing all the money pieces right the councils so above the line is all counseled they have a bylaw tells us we can have a fire service they create policies to tell us how to run the fire service with their administration they have a budget tell us how much money we can spend while we do this and then they decide the staffing right whether it's volunteer full-time they decide how much equipment and people we need then we go below the line and so almost everyone has some sort of standard operating guideline procedure uh, standard operating procedure emergency operations guideline in true fire fashion everyone has to call it something different no one can just agree and call it one thing right but everyone's got this thing right and so that starts to tell you and that's where a lot of the health and safety fits in it's where a lot of the training fits in right and so from there you'd go down to your training plan and your maintenance plan and and all of these pieces that go below the line and the look on people's faces when you finally draw it on a board and you tell them this is council and administration this is the fire department the two don't combine right one tells you how you're going to do it the levels of service and all the things that go with that 
And the other one is an, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. So this is how we're going to do it. And then it links back up. So now if we're going to do that, we have to do this much training. It costs this much, put it in the budget. If we're going to do that, we need this much equipment for our firefighters. It costs this much, put it in the budget. If we're going to do those levels of service, we need this many staff. And, and so there's always this disconnect, I find, between what the fire service thinks they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it and what the administration and then also council thinks that they're supposed to do. And so in my mind, I really find that that's the huge value of this evaluation tool. And it's the way that we're finally able to reach out and help these fire departments figure out there's more to it than just the easy things, the things that are operational, the things that you want to do. There's all these programs and processes. For sure. And I think, you know, you can't just do the pieces of life that you like and forget the rest. And it's the same in the fire service. Like you, you can't just do pieces of it and forget the stuff that's no fun because it all needs to get done right so so you go through it though with these fire chiefs and so lots of them are just volunteer fire chiefs or paid 10 hours a week or whatever and so you have this one inch by one inch piece of your desk that all of this stuff we're talking about has to fit into right so there's no wonder that the operational stuff gets done you know we come in we help them we identify it right and you don't know what you don't know that must be a sentence that we say a hundred times every time we do this with a new customer and it's so true right that you could be the greatest firefighter you could be a great fire chief you could have good equipment you could have great trucks you could have good fire all but there's going to be pieces where you're not great and then someone comes and shows you and tells you and and documents it and there's always a lot of sad faces right I get that. My favorite part is on about day three or four when the sad faces turn to happy faces as we start to develop a plan on how we're going to help you finish these things you don't know. Right. For sure. I agree. That action item and that path of how they're going to be able to do things and lots of times giving giving a path is one thing, but giving them the tools to actually be able to to do the things that we're recommending and that are requirement by law is huge. And I agree. Lots of times people are like, oh, when you first came, I was really scared because you started telling me some stuff I wasn't sure how I was going to handle. And then, you know, by the time you're done the whole eval tool and you give them this huge big binder that's got what they need in it and all the things that how they can fix things, I think it, you know, I think they're starting, you can see the relief right? You can see that they're like, oh, not only did they tell me how I, what I needed to fix, but they told me how I can fix it. And that makes me feel a lot better about it, right? It's been this incredible growth over the last year. Not, not just like we're getting more customers and we're going like growing up fire, it applies to every single person and every single thing that goes through. And for me, some of that growth, some of that growing up fire was Anyone that knows me knows I got a big ego and I I keep it real and I'm humble because 35% of the town I was fire chief of burned down, but I'm still highly driven and ego driven. And I think at the start, I wondered like, how could somebody else know more about this than us? 2011, our town almost burns down. Big chunk of it does. We have to rebuild from scratch. We get this incredible team together and we, we start rebuilding and figuring it out. And then here you and I are trying to figure out what this evaluation tool looks like. So the growth for me is not knowing as much about health and safety as I thought I did, not knowing as much about HR as I thought I did, and having you lead these discussions with these fire departments across Western Canada saying, oh, well, you have to do this and you have to do that because, and and you know the guide guidelines and you know the rules and you know what has to get done. That was a big growth piece for me. And I think a lot of the fire chiefs are, I think they all start out like that, right? It's like, I could totally see why Jamie's here, but I don't understand why Kirsten's here, right? And so my next favorite part is probably right after we finish all the interviews and everybody figures out what they didn't know and they've talked to you for hours on end. It's like, oh crap, we can't fool her. She she knows as much about this as everybody else. I didn't know that over 30 years of marriage that you had picked up as much about the fire service, having never been a firefighter, having never fought a fire, having picked up as much as, as you did. I pick up experiences based on the stories that you've told me and that Ryan tells me and, you know, all the different things. I, I mean, I've been a part of the fire department 
my whole grown up life, just like you, just in a different aspect, right? So and then, you know, the experience of owning your own business and, you know, working in human resources for 10 years and doing all of those things and really digging into health and safety. I do feel like after I get to chat with everybody during interviews, I get a real good understanding from that administration side. And uh, I have to say, like, my favorite part of doing an eval tool is getting to talk to the firefighters and really getting an understanding of how things work for them. And you know what? Maybe what works in one place doesn't work in another, but you have to figure out a way to make it work if it's legislation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same way. It just means that it's going to it's going to be there. So definitely my favorite spot on how I can, you know, get that opportunity to chat with all of the firefighters from, you know, that firefighting all the way up to the fire chiefs. It's a good, a really good experience. And it gives me a lot to figure out. Yeah, for me too, right? And it's funny because we'll still, just the other day we're driving, Brene Brown, if you get a chance. So we bought the book and then we just didn't have time to read it. So we're driving and we decided, I think we're going to Moose Jaw or somewhere. And we decided this Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, we'd get it in audiobooks and we'd listen to it. And I don't know if you remember all the pieces, but some of the pieces for me are like paint done for me. So there's a saying, right? What what done for me versus one of our customers looks like, right? And then she always talks about rumbling. And so this is like having these difficult discussions. So here we are, two professionals. We're 30 years into this. You're a big health and safety HR background. I'm just fire. That's all I know about. And we're listening to this audio book. And we're just staring at each other. And, and we're talking about what she's saying. And we're listening to the... And, and so to me, it's like there's so much growth to do. You know, and it just reinforces what growing up fire is all about. Yes, we get to have our coolest friends and the people that are doing the most for the fire service. And and we get to have these great talks with them, like you're saying. But we also get to help continue to grow their fire services and grow our company and what we're doing and, and change the fire service. And I think if you think back to that truck ride, right, one of the things that I said that I wanted was to you know, make some lasting change for the fire service. I thought that it was time for us to to make some changes and to implement those and to, you know, override some of those dinosaurs that have just been making us do things for the longest time. And to make sure that I myself didn't turn into one of those people that I just really couldn't get my head wrapped around why they're still doing it and why they're still talking and why they're still running everything. We have to change. We have to control that. We have to have difficult discussions. We have to know... What are we trying to get to, right? And and this eval tool just really helped us wrap our heads around that. Yeah. And, you know, we put the eval tool together. And like you said, it took us 1,800 hours, a team of people, 1,800 hours. But I'll tell you, like that conversation in that truck, I never, even though I knew in my mind what we were trying to get to, I still never imagined it to be what it is today. And I look at, the end product that we've come up with. And I just think it's so amazing. Like it's just, it is the perfect tool for any fire service, big, small, doesn't matter to get where they need to go. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I'm not, and we're not just saying this cause we're trying to sell it. We're talking about what it means in your life. To, to have some growth and to change and to, you know, to do something that you're passionate about and to move that forward. And this is it for us. I mean, each one of our 20 customers to this point that have done the eval tool have taught us pieces. This thing has changed, you know, from 1600 hours to today, it's changed incredibly. We've had to grow. We've had to learn. We've had to, right? We've done it with full-time firefighter fire departments all the way down to the smallest little volunteer fire department that has eight or nine firefighters. And it's just been incredible how you learn about the fire service. So while we're talking about that then, let, let's talk about perspective and, and advice that we'd give, right? So we often get the fire chief that's been around for a long time and they think they know everything. And then we come in there and we work with them and we find out they don't know what they don't know and they start to move, right? So 
you finish up your interviews and you're talking to them. What's some advice? Like, let's just give it to everybody for free right now. What's some advice you give to those fire chiefs that have been around for a while about what to do next? I would say that change is a fact of life. It's everywhere and people are terrified of change, but it's not a bad thing. It's really not a bad thing. And I think sometimes I would say to anybody when it comes to changes, go in with an open mind, listen to what people have to say, ask everyone. We might come in with an idea and say, here's what we would recommend, but don't forget about the people who work underneath you. A firefighter or a probationary firefighter might have some great advice on how things are going in that probationary period that a fire chief who's been there for 25 years never even thought about because it's been so long since he's been in that position. Use the tools and the people that you have in your fire service to find out what will work and move forward and don't be scared of change and don't don't think that change is bad and that there's no way of there's no way I can do this because it's changing. And, uh, you know, I think I've heard you say this several times is you don't want to change, but you don't want it to stay the way it is. Well, it's two things firefighters hate the most change in the way it is now. You can't have it that way. Right. So I, I would say my biggest thing is go in with an open mind and know that what you don't know is okay. But now that you know, be prepared to do what you can and support the people around you and and make your fire service a better place. I would echo some of those same things, right? I, I find that as we, I think we're just about 400 fire departments that we visited. Uh, you maybe not as many as me, but I, you were there for a lot of these visits. And it's hard, depends on the size of the fire service, right? So they might've just run a long time chief out of town and now someone else has to pick up the thing and, and move forward. That's hard, right? And you don't know what you don't know. It might be a deputy that waited for 20 years to get the job and now they wanna get in there and get some change and drive some change. And so you get those pieces. You might get somebody that's in a smaller community that doesn't really have that much experience. And now they've got the role and they have to get in there. And so uh, to me, there's always that common link. They're passionate about the fire service. They love the fire service. They're sticking up for their firefighters. But everybody has the same four problems. Ego, turf, time, and money, right? I've said it a hundred times, said a thousand times. I'll probably say it a hundred thousand times before I die. Because if you can figure out those four things, right? And so for the veteran fire chiefs, that's what I'm always telling them. Like where ego, turf, time, and money. Are you the ego? Are you the turf battles, right? We know who the money is. Usually that's above the line working with council and administration. And time is just how much can people give? When I first started as a firefighter, we had 50 calls a year, one a week, right? We had one training session a week that lasts an hour and a half. Now, this same town, you're in Slave Lake, they have 450 calls a year, right? Almost 10 calls a week. And their fire practice is two, two and a half hours, plus their special teams later in the week for another hour and a half, two hours. But, right. And it just, it just starts to add up to where people can't do it all. Right. For the veteran fire chiefs, you, you know, I always say like, take a step back, figure out the four big problems, make a plan and move it forward. Once you build the systems, they're there for a long time. You just have to tweak them. Right. Okay, so now let's go to those new leaders. You've got a chance. You get a room full of brand new leaders. They, you know, they just got the job of fire chief or deputy chief or whatever. What advice are you going to give them? What have you learned in the last couple of years? And you're going to tell them these new leaders. Well, I would say some of the same things because I really do believe that you can't have a fire service with just one person leading. You have a crew of people and there are so many of them that, are, like you said, they're passionate about it. They they love the fire service. They actually need to be part of those discussions, right? Um, I think of some of the things when you were in the fire or at Lesser Slave Regional Fire Service over the last five years. I think of some of the things that you did, and you'd come home and say, "You know what? We had great discussions. We sat around the table and we talked about how we were going to make these few little changes." And it was so good to listen to everyone's thoughts on how we could do this. And, and, you know, I think that is still just as important for a new leader. You know what, listen to people know that uh, they're there to help you and don't allow that ego to be I'm the boss, that way of thinking is it's gone. And in this new world that we live in, 
you know, it's not about the hammer down. It's about let's collaborate and figure this out together. No, that's good. It's good stuff. Uh, you know, for me, it's always like, don't immediately forget where you came from, right? It's you, you go from being a firefighter to a lieutenant, to a captain, to a deputy chief, to a chief, and you get in there and you're this new leader and you just want to drive change and, and get everything in that you thought was the best thing to do. The caution is always, and I've learned this the hard way many, many times, is that your ideas might not be the best ideas, right? And so I miss the old days. I'm almost 50 years old, and I miss the old days when you just, this is what we're doing. No other opinions are asked for or wanted, move it forward. It was that paramilitary, we're doing the job. But you could see it change, right? And so as my career progressed, right, I think I went to the fire training school and kind of learned there that there's different generations that are coming through. And then I got to be the deputy chief. I think I started off probably being a bit of an asshole and it was my way or the highway. And if you didn't like it, I didn't care. But then you had to learn, right? You had to change. You had to, right? And then towards the end, the longer I've been around, the more interested I am in everybody's ideas. You still have to make the decision. You still have to pick one and move it forward. But it's really great to get perspective from everybody. And so those meetings you're talking about used to be some of my favorite. Right. I remember, you know, a new year started and we had the big whiteboard out and we were going to call it, I think we called it the year of the unicorn. And we wrote all these things, right? It was the show was just about starting and we were going to maybe move to a new fire hall and we were getting some new trucks and we had all these things there, like the unicorn. Everyone's heard of it. Everyone knows what it looks like, but you never get to see it. We called it the year of the unicorn. And we went through and we had like a whole week, five days. We're talking about what it's going to look like and what we got to do to get there. And then Ryan, our son, had made a bet with me and said, okay, but if all of those things, like I, I think all those things are going to happen. And I was like, I don't. So it's all good. It's good to have goals. And so we made this bet that we'd switch to the traditional helmets if, right? So on that list was we had to get new helmets because ours were past the 10 years and time to get new helmets. So he said, if these things happen, we have to get this style of helmet, which I didn't like and didn't want. I, of course... The little ego piece of me said, yeah, whatever. Okay, sounds good. I'll I'll make that bet, right? And it wasn't six months later, and there I am making the dreaded phone call to order traditional helmets to replace our 12-year-old Bullards, right? But uh, it, it happens. And those meetings, those, right? Another year, we had the year of the squirrel. And that, and that was simply on Facebook. They had this squirrel trap. They put some peanuts on the end. And when the squirrel came, it just launched it back out into the forest. And so the year of the squirrel was, we're just going to simply write everything on the board that's not going well, that we're not doing right, that we want to get rid of, that's a problem. And we're going to spend a whole year, besides our regular work, the year of the squirrel, we're going to be launching these problems over the fence. It was just fun to always start with this theme and, and these ideas and for everybody to, right, what I thought was a problem wasn't necessarily what they thought was a problem. And so that perspective where you're, doesn't matter if you're an old leader, a new leader, and we're going to talk about firefighters next, you know, the advice you give them is always pretty similar. Be engaged, be part of the solution. Don't be overly aggressive, but, you know, get your voice heard and, and know what's going on in the fire service. And so to me, that's so growing up fire, right? Because even now, our little grandson, he's four years old, and uh, we built him a big bunk bed that has working everything, fire, radios, hoses, the works. And we get in there, and he'll just, like, right away, he thinks he's the fire chief. So he's, like, in there telling us what to do, and you get this hose, and you get that hose, and you get on the radio, and you're driving. And, and I'm like, man, this kid, he's, like, four years old, and he already has some of the skills that are required to be a leader in the fire service, right? I also learned that maybe I talk too much about the fire world. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does come from it. He's got a family of first responders and <laughs> that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more fun when we play police because now we're arresting bad guys and chasing people down and I had to be the bad guy yeah, this morning. He's calling in for backup and whatnot. So it's uh, it's cool to watch all that. Okay, so now perspective, right? We've done all this stuff. We're working with these fire services. We're trying to learn all this stuff about each fire service. What advice do you have for firefighters? Brand new firefighters just started last week. I would say that obviously they're there for a reason. They are passionate about the fire service or they think they are. So they've got to that point where they've joined and you know, I think of you as a new firefighter 
And I mean, that was a long time ago. We were pretty young, but I was whoa, here whoa, first. Whoa, whoa. Not... And I think of you <laughs> looking up to a few of the guys on the fire service and how important that piece was. And I think that's a huge piece for every new firefighter is, I don't know who that person is. I guess they would know. But, you know, I think of you joining and I remember Ken Skull being a really he, he was somebody you looked up to. You asked him questions. You went to him. He mentored you. I know there was many other guys along the way that were probably huge mentors for you as well. But I remember you and I talking about him and how that impacted your ability to be a volunteer firefighter. And I think that every new firefighter has to have that as well. Whether it's one person or two people or whatever, I, I think you... You need to be able to commit the time and you need to make sure you're going in knowing that you're going to learn things that you probably never even thought you would ever be learning and listen and learn and be mentored and be passionate about it and just move forward. Nailed it. Completely nailed it. I mean, it's uh, what kind of firefighter do you want to be? Yeah. Right. And that's where your mentors come from. Some people want to be that aggressive first through the door, run the nozzle. They're working on that. Some want to be the pump operator. Some want to be the leaders and, and learn the, you know, that side of it. Some are just interested in fire prevention. Some are interested in inspections or investigations. And so to me in the first year, it's really important that you learn like what kind of firefighter do I want to be? Am I going to be positive all the time? Am I going to be that mix of positive, negative? Am I going to be like that old crusty guy that's always negative and hates everything and, and goes to the fires? And then you got to find those mentors. You got to find those people, right? And season one, if you go back and look at all the names, I mean, season one is completely full of people that uh, are still mentoring me to this day, right? They're great people in the fire service, right? From young people all the way up to the older ones that have retired. So for me, it's always to those new firefighters is like, no your limits. Know how much you can actually commit to. If you have a family, if you have a girlfriend, a wife, kids, if you have a, a husband, boyfriend, or kids, right? If you're committing to this, you have to know how much time you can commit. And so I probably have two or three conversations a month with brand new firefighters or newer firefighters that say like, this is just too much for me. I can't. Right. And they're trying to commit at a level that they can't. Their family's hurting, right? Their husband or wife is mad. Their kids are mad. They, they're trying to put too much into it. So you got to know you know, what kind of firefighter you can be. You don't have to be 100% of everything. You don't have to be positive all the time. You don't, but you have to be constructive. You have to be willing to be part of it. You have to be open to learning, right? So hashtag always learning. You know, I, I get teased all the time. People say something to, we'll be talking about a topic and they'll be like, yeah, hashtag always learning. But it's a real thing for me. I feel it. I live it. I love it, right? Um, we're training all the time. We're learning all the time and we're growing all the time. And those are, Kind of not just what this is all about, but what the fire service really pushes us to be. And we have some wins and we have some losses. I think, you know, we've had some of the best wins I can think of in the entire fire service world. And I've had some of the worst losses in recorded history. I've been there and been part of it. And you got to just suck that all up and move it through. Right. So, you know, for new firefighters, it's like, wh what kind of firefighter do you want to be? Right. I would say too. I think it's really important. And I look back at this in our lives. I mean, you joined the fire service when you were 18 years old. We were already together. But it was a conversation that we had as you realized what you were getting into and how that was going to affect us as a family. And then as the kids got in, well, as we got had kids, how it affected our family life, right? And I think because we were pretty open about some of that stuff, we knew right from the very beginning how that was going to impact our family. And I would say to a new firefighter is don't forget that having a conversation with your spouse about joining the fire department and how, how much you're willing to commit should be a conversation you also have with them. Like I think of many times, you know, I, I still remember one time getting left at the grocery store yeah, you're huge, not bitter about that for no, sure. No, with a huge cart full of, you know, and having to call family and, and, and that's fine. But it was something I knew because you and I had talked about it. We had those conversations. And as a family, we knew that when it was, you know, riverboat days, we were going to go down to the fire hall. We were going to be part of the parade. It was something that we all wanted to do. And I know that Sarah says, you know, she maybe wasn't with some of her favorite things, but as a young child, 
it was part of our life. And it was just, I don't, it wasn't just me and you that expected to go there. Our kids did too, right? And having that conversation with your family as well, I think is a huge piece for any new firefighter. It's the way you know how much you're going to be able to commit. You you get drug into it, right? And so I'm going to talk about an experience we had at Martin Beach one time. And, you know, this will pop right into your mind just immediately where you got drug into it like it or not there you are elbows blood up to your elbows helping me out and and so our listeners love a good fire story so this was uh, we were out at our family cabin all of our friends were out there we we're having this big weekend and for some reason all the kids i think the weather wasn't great maybe and all the kids were inside and we were watching pirates of the caribbean on tv and then all of a sudden this kid jumps up on our deck and they're banging on the glass window and so i opened the door and i said uh this someone just got ran over next door and so in you know at our family cabin there's dr caffaro who was the doctor then there's kind of like me i was next for if there's a problem in the subdivision and ran to my truck grabbed my radio grabbed my medical bag and and ran over there and you were right behind me for for good bad or ugly i don't know why you decided that the best thing for you would be to be right behind me and so um, our friends kept the kids inside some of our other friends jumped to and started calling 911 and all those things. But you and I went to the scene and this pickup had literally ran over this person. And so we're digging through the kit and I'm telling you, get the, the bag valve mask. And, and, you know, you could just see on your face. I don't even know what this clown's talking about. Right? I have no idea. You're digging through. I'm like, get the green thing, get the, you know, and we're trying to set it up and you know, help's coming, but it's 25 minutes, 30 minutes away. To this day, I think what a champ you were, right? So, you know, I'm doing the compressions, you're running the bag, we're answering questions, we're trying to figure it out. In this case, we're lucky there's just one patient seriously injured, uh, sadly passed away a few days later, but we're sitting there and we're working on it and we're doing all these things. And I thought, man, good for her. Because I don't know if it was reversed. I don't know if I'd have just chased you down and, <laughs> and decided I'd get right in the middle of that. You'd probably had like two or three first aid classes in your whole life by then. And I mean, yeah, you're a mom, so you can just jump to and fix anything. But I still was thinking to myself, man, that's intimidating. And then even for me, you know, 30 minutes later, pump four rolls up and I can see there's Terry Tonsi, Captain Tonsi. He's rolling in there. Always that look on his face right? Half serious, half not, half smile, half not. What do we got? And as soon as he said that, I thought, we can relax, right? Even back then, I probably was only the deputy fire chief or something then. I don't even remember, but I was like, man, now finally, you know, felt like the pros are here. (laughs) They got the big truck, they have the AED, they got the oxygen, they got, and then the ambulance passes, right? A little bit behind them. And you know that they only beat the ambulance there, I'm sure, that day because they knew exactly where our cabin was. Most of them had been there or were coming there that night, probably. And so it was awesome to just have them show up and, and do all those. And you remember that call? I, I do. And I do remember running after you and thinking that I was going to save the world, which I have to tell you, I only had first aid because we had kids and you said I had to have first aid. And I remember after that call thinking... I actually remember pulling out my first aid card and saying, I don't want this anymore. I don't ever want to do this again. It was a very scary call. There was lots of stuff. But I will tell you, when that truck pulled up, and you're right, Terry Tonsi pulled out, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can I can just sit down. And I remember walking to the edge of the grass at our cabin lot and just sitting down and crying because I was just so relieved that I didn't have to do that anymore. Right. And like I said, it was one of those things that I knew I never wanted to do that again. Right. Like I, when I went to work for the town of Slave Lake and they asked me about, you know, of course, health and safety in our world, we had to pick floor wardens and for emergency response, we had to pick medical staff that would help out medical. And I'm like, you know what, I'll be a floor warden, but I don't ever want to have to do first aid on anybody again. So call somebody else for that. You, yeah. do, you get drug into it, right? You do it's get just, drug in. It's, it's all part of all of those things. And I always just use that in my head as a, you know, good, bad, or ugly, you're, you were coming. And uh, yeah. even when I got there and I saw the what we were dealing with and I looked back and there you are, I was thinking, first thought, what's she doing here? Second thought, hey, get the PVM. <laughs> we got to get going here, right? Well, in my mind, there was no way you could actually do it by yourself, right? Yeah. Like I just... That was, that was a great intuition. There's no way I could have done all that by myself, <laughs> for sure. 
it was just that weird time because our other friends had just run to town to get some groceries and you know they would have been a great help if they'd have been there and so anyways quick story for everybody uh sadly turned out bad for him there's so much more that goes with it later that night we decided to drink polish beer and got pretty messed up by that stuff and then the neutral burned off our pole so our hot tub was still working but not really and the fridge was still running but not really and the power people came and said get out of that hot tub before you get electrocuted you guys and it was really bad that day just kept getting worse all the way till the next morning but it was just one of those ones where we all just stick together right right and and that's about i i mean right from the beginning i knew that i was going to support you in the fire world it's about our growing up fire family and that was piece of it i mean that that weekend showed me that I was going to support you no matter how you needed it, even if I didn't know what I was doing, which many times I don't, but I'm still willing to help, right? And I, if you're I not willing to help, I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So working with the fire service, you, you do it full time now. That's our job, working together. You've been doing it for 30 years, just like me, on and off part time. What's your favorite part of working with the fire service when we go out? Y- you know what? I truly, truly love the family feel and I love sitting down and just listening to the stories. And it's not just when we go do an eval tool. I could sit and listen to you guys in Chestermere talking about stories. I could listen to you in Slave Lake talking about stories. In, you know, all the places that we have been, even though you might not be a part of their story, the stories that come along with the fire service, good, bad, or ugly, are just so close to my heart all the time. And it is my it is my ultimate favorite piece. I love just sitting and talking to people about it. I love that everywhere we go, it's almost 400 across the country now, everywhere we go, they have something that they invented that they're super proud of. Even if 50 other people have it and we've seen it in other places, everybody has a story about a truck, right? Some are from the 60s, 70s, all, some are brand new, the latest, greatest, right? But they all have this amazing truck that, right? And in their own ways, they all do have this amazing truck. They all have a story about their fire hall. They all have a story about interacting with council and administration. They all have a story about training. And 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 so those stories are great. And really, you know, as much as fire departments run them differently, there's 80% of it that's always the same. And it's the part that's so fun to sit there and listen to and, and say, right? And, and of course, we've visited so many and work with this so much that we could be in a fire hall for 15 minutes and go, okay, here we go. Ego, turf time, and money. We'll just make a column and start. But it's also fun to listen to them try to figure it out, right? It's not, it's not right for us to just come in and tell them. Right. It takes a whole week or two weeks, depending on the size of the fire department, for us to get through it all. And to me, what I love is that we always get to it. We could come in in the first half an hour and say, here, here's what we're seeing. But by the end, the lists are always the same. And so firefighters, as much as it hurts their ego sometimes, as much as it's hard to find out what you don't know, they always get through it. And they always have a smile. And then they always feel, I I always think of Dr. David Griffin, and you didn't get to come to that talk with me, but we're in Carmen, Manitoba. Dr. David Griffin shows up. I wasn't going to go because I had never heard of him, didn't know what the, so happy I went. Listened to this guy for five and a half hours. He just owned his piece in just a huge, terrible thing that happened that that changed the fire service in in the United States and lots of other places. And just challenged us all to think a different way and to be better and to and I was just like, man, like that's just an incredible story, an incredible leader, an incredible, you know, push us all to do better. And so I think those are some of my favorite parts where there's there's always those people, right? Our show's full of them that that get to come and, and help drive the fire service and push it forward and right. And it and it just really identifies those other ones that are all talk and no action. Right. Or the dinosaurs that are just like, yeah, those are old ideas. And if you don't want to change. Right. And, and people get mad, man. You should hear our listeners freak out when I talk about the dinosaurs. And, you know, if you don't want to be part of this, just retire or find a new job. But the vast majority agree and love it and understand what we're talking about. And so that's all my favorite parts of the fire service moving from, you know, place to place. So you and I work together. That would be shocking for most couples to, you know, live together, work together, travel together, do everything together. 
So, so what's your, I'm not going to ask you what you don't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it all the time, folks. We're good. I got that one. But what's your favorite part of getting to travel around and work in the fire service together? I personally think that we're both very passionate about this. We both love the fire service, maybe in different ways, but we do love it. And I think, you know, going and getting to sit down and talk with different fire departments and see different things and different parts of Canada and all the amazing little towns and big towns that we get to go to is so amazing. I I mean, I think of the places we've got to go and, and I think of the things that not only they're learning from us, but things that I'm learning from them, like they all are so passionate about it in some way. And they all have so much to share that are maybe things that I have never thought of either, right? So I do think every time we go someplace, I learn something from them just as much as they might learn from us. It's always fun to travel with you and get to do these different things and just be a part of it, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, working together is so fun. I, I'll never forget the time we were in uh, PEI. And so we were in Summerside, we were going to meet Ron, the fire chief. We'd never met him before. We set up an appointment, we were going to see him. We were so excited that we got up early. And so we got a coffee and we went down to the pier and we're walking around the dock. And this is just like typical for us. This is how it is when you travel with us. And there was these two Coast Guard guys and they were standing around and we were looking at their boat and they started talking to us. Where are you guys from? Slave Lake, Alberta. Oh, that's cool. I got a cousin that uh, moved there. It's like, what, you know, you're in PEI, but this is how it goes. And so next thing you know, they're like, put these life jackets on. You guys can come check out this boat. So we're on the boat taking selfies, you know, checking out the boat. Then the boss comes down, you know, and we thought, oh, we're in trouble, right? We're all freaking out. And he's like, no, it's all good. If you guys are going out on a patrol, do those guys want to go with you? You just sign this thing and they could go. And so we're looking at each other like, oh man, we're going to get to go out on this Coast Guard boat, right? But look at her watch. No, we got to... we told this fire chief that we're going to be there and we got to go. And, and so to me, that's our favorite part. We just, we get to experience all these crazy things everywhere we go all the time. You know, to me, here's some more advice. If you don't ask, the answers always no. So my best advice I can give is to always ask, right? We get to go to these crazy places, see these crazy things, go behind the scenes, go in anything, anywhere. I would say that 99% of the time people say yes when we ask to to go, can we drive in this? Can we look at that? Can we do this? So always ask, right? 100% chance that it's no if you don't ask. If you ask and they say no, it is what it is, but at least you've tried, right? And so I I always think of the times when we're not together and I learned something, right? Henry was up doing a podcast, which is coming out in a little while, and he was talking about being a firefighter in Quebec, and how things changed and they got a French chief and the chief wanted everyone to be able to speak French and Henry couldn't speak it that good and didn't really want to learn. And so he just decided to step away from the fire service after 30 some years. And I was like, I'd I'd never heard anything like that in my life, right? But then I thought, oh, well, remember that time we were in Moncton and Conrad Landry was talking about, you know, the French English debate and who knows what and we met those paramedics and one's French and one's English and and so you know you just you get to think of all these things and I was like oh Kirsten missed that she (laughs) she missed that story she missed being able to talk to him and figure that out and so for me I just love that we get to share time together and and do all of these crazy things together Um, like it or not right it's a fun it's part of growing up fire for you and for me and now for our daughter our son's in it our grandson you know gets to be in it and it's just this amazing world okay so now we get to that part it's the end of season one is there going to be a season two yes absolutely 100 percent. there's going to be a season two it'll change a little bit we're going to get some advertisers on there to help us pay for all this and it's really a lot more of a family business now you know i think growing up fire was kind of a podcast and now there's so much more to it okay so what's next we're gonna have a website www.growingupfire.com we got a new Facebook page that's rocking. A few hundred of you already looked up that, so that's Growing Up Fire on Facebook. Our new Instagram account, Growing Up Fire underscore. You know, check that out. Get on there with us. We got an apparel line coming out. 
So we're going to have, my wife's going crazy with this. We're going to have the t-shirts, the hoodies, golf shirts, ball caps, toques, stuff for kids, stuff for adults. Uh, season two challenge coins. We're going to only have 300 of those again. There'll be a release of those. So those are going to be numbered limited edition coins. Get on on that. Uh, new exciting guests. So we got guests that we didn't fit into season one. And of course, we just keep meeting newer, cooler people. We're going to be talking about mental health. We're going to be talking to some of the CAOs and councils and giving you tips on how you can help uh, move things along as you try and get your fire service growing up fire. We're getting back into traveling the country. So we're going to be back over in uh, Manitoba doing a couple talks coming up here, one in Saskatchewan. And so excited that, you know, COVID's kind of starting to tail off and we're going to actually be able to get out there doing some talks around the country again. And, you know, like talking about disasters, leadership, evacuations, change management, all of these things, right? We got a lot of passion for the fire service. That's obvious. We got a lot of love for all of our listeners, all of our friends, all of our family that are out there trying to help us out. So uh, we're going to keep pounding away on that. What do you think, Kirsten? Season two is going to be exciting? I think it will be very exciting. And funny enough, if you would have asked me last year when this started, I never would have thought we'd be starting season two with all of this new stuff. Like, I just thought it would be a podcast and that's as far as it would go. But I should know better when you put your mind to something, it doesn't just stop at one thing. So I'm very excited to see what the apparel will look like. And I know the website should be done soon. And yeah, it's lots of new exciting things. It's the fun things, right? We go to all these fire departments and we're changing coins and we're getting hats and shirts and we, we just got to be part of it. We got to let our, our fans and our family and our friends be a bigger part of this. And so so that's why we're doing this stuff. You know, for us, nothing changes. Deal with the big four, ego, turf, time and money. Figure out those challenges. Make the changes move forward. You know, for us, help us out. We're always hashtag learning, hashtag training, hashtag growing up fire. Jump on our social media, ask us any questions, make any comments. The good, the bad, the ugly, I don't really care. Anyone that knows me good enough knows I could take some criticism. I could take some love from you. It's it's all good. We love it all. We had really a lot of fun when we Ryan and I sat down and asked, answered a whole bunch of questions from our fans. That was overwhelming. We, we had like a hundred different questions that came at us. So we'll probably do another show or two like that and we're really trying to just have some fun with it so you might see some facebook live stuff where you can ask us some questions in real time so you know we don't have any time to prep we can just give you our answers right there i think one thing that everybody's come to learn from us is you're going to get face value we're we're not here we're not bringing in guests that are going to sugarcoat it for you we're not uh, sugarcoating it ourselves the whole point of growing up fire is for us to learn together to move forward together and to just move this whole thing forward in the fire service so that we can work together i think you're also going to see some guests from other parts of i got some of my favorite police buddies and and we've been working on the highway for forever we've been working on disasters forever some ems folks right there's always the ems fire debate and what's going on there and so we're going to just keep pushing the boundaries and keep asking both things my son this morning was asking me hey you know find out why people don't do the 4896 like they do in the states why aren't people in canada doing that shift and so you know there's good challenge i accept i'll i'll get on there i'll try and figure out why we're not doing that why full-time fire departments aren't pushing that ahead and and what's going on and and if we can so all of those questions keep them coming keep learning keep growing up fire that's it for season one folks look forward to getting all your comments and talking to you again for season two thanks for listening to growing up fire today follow me on instagram at chief coots to comment or send questions we appreciate your support.